what can I do today? Don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. Don't know what's going to happen in a couple months. So what do I need to do today to help myself get through today? The University of Utah shutdown resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic affected the student body in unprecedented ways. How are students responding and what do the experts say? We take a look at that and more on this inaugural episode of 2020 Vision. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2020 Vision, a podcast discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected student life at the University of Utah. I am Jacob Rueda, your host for this episode. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. That was World Health Organization Director General Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus on March 11, 2020, declaring the disease COVID-19 a worldwide pandemic. Since that time, the world has experienced a social and economic shakeup that has affected the very structure of life. Before I continue, it is important to give context to what we'll be discussing in this podcast by examining and explaining COVID-19 and the impact it has had. We'll start with a brief history of the disease and move on to an overview of its effects. COVID-19 was first detected in the city of Wuhan in the Hubei province of China as early as November 2019, according to the Guardian news outlet. It eventually spread outside of China to just about every corner of the globe. The disease mainly affects the respiratory system, but other symptoms have been associated with it. It is caused by a type of virus called a coronavirus, named so because of its crown-like appearance. This specific strain of coronavirus was named SARS-CoV-2 by the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses. According to an October 5th report from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, the disease is spread through close contact with an infected person or through respiratory droplets in the air which can travel up to 6 feet. The CDC says it is still learning about the virus and of the disease it causes. The Salt Lake Tribune reported on March 6 that Utah Governor Gary Herbert declared a state of emergency after a case of COVID-19 was confirmed in Davis County. The University of Utah closed the main campus on March 12 during the spring break and moved all classes online, drastically affecting student life and education. The elements that make the university experience a unique and memorable one have been curtailed if not completely eliminated in the interest of curbing the spread of the novel coronavirus. The social aspect of going to class has perhaps been the most difficult one, seeing that social connections are part of the university experience. That, along with the inability to be in buildings which house the knowledge and instruction sought by students, makes it harder for students and faculty alike to really absorb and fully experience the purpose of university education. After the initial closure, almost every building on campus became inaccessible to students and faculty, save for the Union Building, the only place on campus to remain relatively open during the pandemic. Access to the building is restricted to students and faculty only, and its hours of operations are limited to operating on weekdays. Summer semester 2020 saw all classes remain online, while fall semester saw only 20% of classes return to the university. The rest stayed online. The overall scope of the closure left students and faculty feeling overwhelmed and exasperated, especially after experiencing the ubiquitous effects of the pandemic. Last night, the president again promising a COVID vaccine soon. 
The vaccines are coming momentarily. A month ago, Wisconsin was seeing about 800 daily cases of COVID-19. Now it's more than 2,300. This morning, the U.S. facing 200,000 coronavirus deaths. COVID-19 takes up a lot of the news cycle, regardless of whether it is in politics, science, or any other topic. There is a constant bombardment of information with regard to the pandemic, and what with all else that is going on in the world and in the United States, the sense is that it can be too much for students to handle on top of not being able to physically attend classes. So how have students responded to the university's changes? How have experts at the university viewed the situation? And what do they say about the effect it has had on students? In the following report by J.T. Wistersill, Students share their personal experiences and perspectives on the campus closure, as well as what a university social worker recommends for dealing with the mental and emotional impact of the closure. 2020. Just saying those words are enough to make everyone feel a sense of dread. We've been through so much this year with a global pandemic and other events causing everyone a great deal of stress and loss of hope. Keeping a positive mindset can be a difficult thing when faced with so much uncertainty. Mental health is a serious subject, and it's one many college students are struggling with today. College is supposed to be one of the best times of our lives, but so much about what makes campus a great place has been taken away. I want to take a closer look at how the state of the world is affecting students' mental health, starting from the day the university shut down to where we are now. I spoke with Christina Kelly Lecluse, who is a licensed clinical social worker for the University of Utah Counseling Center, to help me better understand what students are going through. When discussing the shock we all experienced when the world first stopped, Christina said it's a common reaction when your world is turned upside down. What we see oftentimes when faced with major crisis situations, either on campus or on an individual basis. So, it, you know, there's this immediate first sense of bewilderment and confusion, a sense of trying to figure out how to adjust to all of this. With every class shifting to an online format and students being forced off campus, it caused a major disruption in everyone's life as they knew it. This was the case for Jake, a sophomore at the U who had difficulty navigating the online transition. I switched to online, like out of spring break was really hard, I think for me. I was kind of struggling in one of my math classes and then it uh, kind of got a little bit harder. Once we shifted to the online, it was like a really messy shift. Uh, a lot of people didn't know what they were doing. All of this change led to an increase in anxiety and difficulty staying motivated to complete school. Students felt overwhelmed with the fear of getting the virus and the stress of school making it tough to go on with their lives. Jake commutes 30 minutes every day to get to campus and really missed being in the classroom. For him, going on with life was easier said than done. It was really hard for me not going to campus, honestly, because mm -hmm. I stopped going to the gym, you know, I stopped exercising. So that was kind of hard for me. I think I've actually put on a little weight because I still haven't been to the gym again. The isolation also made it impossible for students to communicate with their peers in person. They could still call them, but not being able to interact with them face to face was a challenge. For those who really enjoy person-to-person -person contact, it's been really difficult. It's really a challenge. It can, for many people, they were depending on the in-person class format or the structure of being at, on campus and having interactions with peers as a way of not only maintaining social relationships, but on developing social relationships. For Carlos, another sophomore at the U, not having in-person classes made it tough to have the drive needed for school. For me personally, it was really hard just to want to get up and go to class when I knew that all the teachers would be recording their lectures. And I'm like, well, especially for someone like me, who's not a, who's definitely not a morning person and who has classes that for, the, for my schedule, I had to start as classes at 730, like I said earlier, it just really made it hard for me to mentally 
get into a place where I'm like, okay, I have to get up, I have to be here. Over the course of quarantine, many people got used to their new routines and were able to move forward with their lives. But with the state of our political world and school starting back up, it's important to monitor our mental health with so much going on around us. It's also important to monitor our friends' mental health and be on the lookout for ways we can help them if they're struggling. If you have a student who has a friend or a peer who's struggling, if they can help normalize hey, you know, I've, I've felt that way as well. There are these resources on campus. There is the Counseling Center. We have so many different services available to help students if they can not only normalize, but maybe even assist another student in contacting us or in accessing those services. I think that goes a long, long way in making it okay for that student who's struggling to do that and access the help that they might need. Carlos is helping out his friends by constantly reminding them this is only temporary. I'm just trying to tell them now to stay positive. I know it's hard. A lot of them do live on campus this first year. And, you know, they, they, they hate it that they can't go out. They can't do anything. But you got to tell them that, you know, it's, it's, it's temporary and that to focus on their school. Focusing on school and whatever else the day may hold is a great way to help us stay on track in a crazy world. When looking ahead to the future, it can be a scary task. So much about what's ahead is unknown. And that is why Christina believes the best way to a happy mindset is to take it day by day. What can I do today? Don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. Don't know what's going to happen in a couple months. So what do I need to do today to help myself get through today? Practicing mindfulness and compassion are important steps we can take to not just help ourselves, but to help each other as well during these difficult times. JT Wistersill for 2020 Vision. It is clear from what students have said that the university shutdown has tilted the way they go about school as well as their personal lives. Some are confused while others try and muddle through online classes. Basically what's happened because of the pandemic is a great change and students simply do not know how to deal with such a massive tilt to their expectations. Outside of the stress these students are going through, are there any positive gains to be had from this experience or is it all hopelessness and despair? Dr. Lisa Aspinwall is a professor of psychology at the U. In her research, she examines the processes of stress and coping mechanisms. It is important to note here that her expertise does not extend into providing clinical advice, meaning she is not a counselor and does not see patients. She says that while there are some things that people can control in situations, there are things that are beyond a person's ability to manage, especially during a public health crisis like a pandemic. Aspenwall refers to attempting to control events outside of one's ability as predictive control. Being able to know, for example, when the pandemic will end or when a vaccine will become widely available and effective. And so you have a situation where people have had to change most things about their daily life and their work, but they don't know. There's no clear offset. And that makes it difficult for people to plan and look forward to things in addition to sort of managing the threat and the fear and the change to workplaces, the change to people's social lives. One of the drawbacks of online classes is the inability to not only connect with students, but also with professors. Students become just a number in a class who only see their fellow classmates and professors through a screen or the occasional Zoom meeting if they don't have a regularly set meeting time. 
While connecting through things like GroupMe and the Canvas Mail can be effective in communicating with students and professors alike, it is not a substitute for in-person dialogue. People are still behind a device, and they can be dismissed as easily as an unwanted notification. It is at such times when a student should make the bold effort to reach out to someone, anyone who will listen. I think that just recognizing that this is an extremely stressful time. I also think that people taking time to reach out to people who may be isolated, so I feel particularly badly for international students who can't go home, and for uh, people like our new graduate students. I can't imagine moving to a new city to start a graduate program, and you just see people on a computer screen, and you don't really have the same opportunity to make friends. Um, so I think that just within our university community, there are plenty of people who are much more isolated than usual. So was all this electronization good for everyone in the long run? Are all these adjustments that have been made not just at the U but in society in general for the long-term benefit of people? While it may seem like that to some point at present, Aspenwall cautions against becoming too accustomed to these adjustments. If you are trying to get used to something that is just horrible and scary and there's nothing you can do about it, then acclimating is good because you're going to be less upset over time. The problem is when that becomes complacency and there is something that a person could have done and then acclimating is not good. Even with so much going on, Aspenwall says that it is possible to cope with the current situation despite all that is happening and that there is no right way to cope or deal with the stress. Some of the stress relievers recommended by the CDC include taking deep breaths, managing diet, getting regular exercise, and getting plenty of sleep. They also recommend reaching out to others and talking to them about any problems or distressing situations. One of the most important stress-relieving recommendations made by the CDC is to reduce the amount of time spent watching news and being exposed to media. Dr. Craig Sawchuk is a chair of the Division of Integrated Behavioral Health at the Mayo Clinic. During a special podcast on April 3, 2020 that is available on YouTube, he goes into detail about what is currently happening and what effects it has had on mental health. He gives three main recommendations, all of which align with CDC recommendations. Here he highlights the necessity of connecting with others while minding current social protocols. He also presents his explanation on why limiting media exposure is important. Where we're social animals, it's so important for us to connect to others. We may have to do things a little bit differently now, um, you know, in being respectful of social distancing. Uh, so this is where texting, phoning, video conferencing are really good. But we also want to make sure that we are functionally disconnecting as well. We're all marinating in the media right now, whether it be news or social media. So it's really good to set some uh, boundaries on that. And we usually recommend uh, maybe about 15 minutes up to a half hour, once to twice per day. We'll keep you informed, but not overwhelmed by everything that you're seeing. So there is this pandemic, life has been knocked on its side, and now nobody knows what to do. Is there hope? The answer is yes. There is the saying that this too shall pass. As cliché as that sounds, it is without a doubt that the pandemic and all its effects will pass. But what to do until then? Well, here are some suggestions. The University of Utah Counseling Center's website is a great place to begin. Students can contact the Counseling Center directly from there, as well as browse for information. The site also provides data on coping strategies for specifically dealing with the stress of the pandemic. 
It also lists crisis and other clinical services available to students and faculty. There are any number of links and resources for those who seek help in dealing not just with the stress of the pandemic, but with any other mental health issue. Students can find the website at counselingcenter.utah.edu. A popular form of coping with stress is mindfulness. However, many people do not know what it is exactly. Most of the time, being mindful means being considerate of oneself and others. In terms of mental health, mindfulness is something completely different. Wikipedia describes mindfulness as the practice of purposely bringing one's attention to experiences occurring in the present moment without judgment. Now one may say, well, big deal, how does that help? Some individuals believe that mindfulness is the best tool to avert stress and anxiety. Dr. Cyan Cotton is a director of Integrative Health and Wellness at the University of Cincinnati. On her page at the university's website, she discusses the benefits of mindfulness and how students and faculty at her school benefit from mindfulness exercises. She writes, Certainly students, faculty, and staff all still have a job to do. They still need to focus. They still need to be able to pay attention in the classroom, whether it be online or at home. She goes on to say that mindfulness increases focus and the ability to not waste time. Cotton proceeds to demonstrate a mindfulness exercise. She writes, let's consider a mindful shower. Think about when you're actually in the shower. You're thinking about your day. You're thinking about what's coming up. What are you going to wear? What do the kids have for breakfast? What time is it? As opposed to that, see if you can really notice in the moment how your body feels. Use all your senses. What do you smell? Do you smell the aromas in the shower? How do you feel? What do you hear? Cotton isn't the only medical professional touting mindfulness. Dr. Stuart J. Eisendrath is an emeritus professor of clinical psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco. In an article appearing in Psychology Today, Eisendrath writes, Mindfulness has powerful antidepressant and anti-anxiety effects because its focus is on the present moment. When you focus on the present moment, you let go of the past and the future. If you are focused on your body sensations, you aren't focusing on the past or future. The University of Utah has a mindfulness center which can be accessed through the counseling center. Because of the pandemic, the center is not currently accepting in-person appointments, but it does provide mindfulness services through its website, including a Zoom consultation. To attend the workshop, you can register through the Mindfulness Center website at mindfulnesscenter.utah.edu. In his interview with the Mayo Clinic, Sawchuck says how feeling anxiety during this time is understandable. He also says that the point isn't to just shrug off the anxiety and stress, but to recognize it and do something with it. As humans, we're naturally hardwired uh, to pay attention to threat. And uh, there's a lot of threat going on in the world right now. So just think about our limbic system, which is the fear center of our brain, is, is almost overly focused in on that threat right now. And it is, you know, to some degree normal, you know, that we should experience, you know, some anxiety and worry and, and stress and uncertainty. So we're, we're not aiming for, um, like, don't worry about this at all or, or just think happy thoughts. We just have to really work with our thinking. The internet is replete with information on effective ways of dealing with anxiety. Some involve mindfulness and some do not. 
the important thing is, according to Sawchuck and other professionals, is not to be controlled by it. It is true that the pandemic hit some people harder than others, and the situation with school and other aspects of student life is not ideal at the moment. Life has been turned upside down for many people, and it's not easy coming up with ways of dealing when one is stuck at home or in a dormitory. After all, the homework is still there, the deadlines are still there, and one can only escape so much watching Hulu, Netflix, or even YouTube before throwing themselves on their bed and covering themselves with a blanket, wishing this whole thing would just go away. To put it bluntly, this sucks, and it looks like it keeps getting worse. But as Carlos said in his interview with JT, this situation is only temporary. Ultimately, no one gains anything by constantly worrying about when it will end since no one, not even the government, has control over when the pandemic will end, the only thing left to recognize is that one does have control over themselves and what they can do over their immediate situation. The key is recognizing that and learning how to manage oneself during a crisis. Even though one might say that it is easier said than done, it might behoove someone to think that it can be done with the proper guidance and personal adjustment. Then it won't be so much that it is easier said than done, but that it will become second nature when dealing with situations on any scale. Challenges bring about opportunities for improving and developing new skills in coping, dealing, and doing. Here is Dr. Sawchuk again explaining why it is sometimes difficult for a person to make their thinking more effective. As emotions get cranked up, the flexibility and our ability to problem solve actually goes down. So we really have to be able to work on that and, and kind of resetting the balance. Something to ask oneself is, how receptive are they to changing their thinking? Repeating what Dr. Sachak mentioned earlier, it is not about being mindlessly happy and thinking that the big bad problem will go away, but in altering one's thought process to make the problem manageable. So how do you change your thinking? It is important to make one thing clear before continuing. Many people get hung up on the idea of positive and negative thinking as if that were the only way to look at mental health and how one thinks. Take a moment to examine thoughts and actions. Are the results of what one is thinking working for them? When it comes to taking action, what is the distinction between being cautious and being paranoid? Again, it is not to dismiss one's emotions and senses, but realizing that something can be done with them and it is a choice between stagnating or progressing. Here are some more questions to ponder. How are individuals targeting their thinking? Do they know how to target their thinking in such a way that they achieve a desired result? If one wants to not panic or not think of themselves as helpless or isolated anymore, then how is their thinking helping to achieve that? If a person wants to change their thinking but doesn't know how, then how can they learn? Again, there is no specific way to achieve this, especially since everyone thinks and processes things differently. It takes finding a way to make it happen. Like Dr. Lecluse mentioned in JT's report, what are individuals doing today to help themselves get through today?
something else to consider is the willingness of an individual to get help if it is needed. It goes back to the earlier question of how receptive is a person to change their thought process. How effective is what one is doing at the moment to help them cope with the situation? That is why counseling services available at the U are an excellent resource to help students work through these challenging times. And speaking of tools, one of the most important tools at one's disposal is... The Internet. The Internet is as useful as one makes it. There is plenty of disposable and ephemeral information on the Internet, and it takes effort to sort through what is useful and helpful and what is not. If the Internet can be used to shop for groceries or look at some video of people being stupid, can it not also be used to find information that can help people cope with situations, even if just for that moment? Again, it is important to remember to sort through information so that one finds what is most helpful for them, seeing that not all methods or philosophies will appease everyone's way of thinking and working. Sometimes the internet will provide just what one needs at the moment, and sometimes a more personal and experienced approach is required from a licensed professional. Meditation doesn't work for everyone, and neither does therapy. That is why a good resource for information once it is carefully selected, is the internet. One final thought. Would it not be wonderful to simply be given the right answer or the exact thing to do so that everybody could just do it and never have to worry about the pandemic or anything else ever again? Unfortunately, few things actually work that way. A math problem maybe works that way, but it's different when it comes to mental health. In the end, it comes down to how willing is an individual to help themselves through these situations. Helping oneself doesn't always mean a person does everything themselves without anyone's assistance. Again, few things actually work that way. It means a person reaches out to those sources that can help guide them to a place of understanding. From friends, counselors, and... The Internet. The resources are there to help students and faculty alike navigate through this period in history. It is simply a matter of accessing them and using them. That is all for this edition of 2020 Vision. In the next episode, we'll be looking at how the pandemic has been underlined by this year's weather and geological events in Salt Lake City and the various effects it had on the University of Utah. Elise Dunway will be your host as she guides you through windstorms, topple trees, and earthquakes. Until then, thank you for listening, and I look forward to you joining us next time. This has been Jacob Rueda speaking to you. Stay safe and be well always. Twenty Twenty Vision is a production of the University of Utah Communication Department under the guidance of Professor Maria Shaleos Nelson. Our special reporting was by J.T. Wistersill. The interview with Dr. Lisa Aspinwall was by Ivana Martinez. Social media was by Elise Dunway. And production and arrangement of this episode was by Jacob Rueda. Join us next time for more Twenty Twenty Vision.